0: I just want to add something to what Brad said. I want to add two things, actually. I am, am not a father, but I want to add this. Jordan Peterson, well, yeah, a spiritual father, I guess, to some, if you'd like. I did get a Happy Father's Day message this morning to say Happy Spiritual Father's Day. It's fun. Um, Jordan Peterson, a, a psychologist, he says this when he, he was talking about the fact of what Brad was saying for, for people to clean up their crap. Someone asked him, how do I do that? And he gave this response, and I think it's brilliant, and it's something that I've been uh, aspiring to, and I've told quite a few people as I've sat across the table from them. But he said this, be somebody, be the most valuable and reliable person at your father's funeral. Be the person that people come to at your father's funeral. And I was like, oh, that's an odd thing to say, but... What he's saying there is be somebody that everybody around you relies on. Be somebody that that when people look to you and they ask something of you, there's no question as to whether or not you're going to catch that ball and run with it. There's no question as to whether or not I'm going to be the person. When you walk into a room and people say, get Phil to do it because I know Phil will make it happen. That's a reliable person. That's somebody who will be there when they say they're going to be there who will do what they say they're going to do, who will step up when they need to step up. That's what I aspire to be. Can I be somebody that everybody around me can rely on for whatever? Not as in I'm going to be perfect and do everything, but I'm going to give it my absolute best. Hey, Mally, can I get down a little bit, please? I'm feeding back just a little bit. Thanks. Do, do my best to be there in everything. Make my yes a yes and my no a no. And I also want to add this. Well done, dads. Well done to the new dads, my goodness. You've scared the the crap out of Jess and I to step into fatherhood. But well done. You guys are doing a good job, so well done. Do better, but well done. Do better, but well done. Is that not the Christian walk? Isn't that everything we're trying to do? Well done for where you've come, but let's go. We've got further to go. There's more for us to achieve. There's, There's bigger things for us to step into. Is that okay? Now, I want to ask for forgiveness because I did not prepare a Father's Day sermon this morning. I do not have a Father's Day sermon. I, I, didn't, I didn't plan that. I sat down to prepare my sermons in my prayer time. And when I was listening back to the other sermons and God spoke to me on something, so I want to take the time to go there. I do apologize. It's not a fancy Father's Day sermon. It's not because they're not good. I just, God's shown me something else and I want to go there. Is that Okay. Okay, but I'm going to start with something else. We have been talking a lot about how excited and encouraged we are in this house, how we feel God's leading us somewhere. And it occurred to me during the week that every church leader uses that language. Every church leader says that there's something just over the hill. There's something just around the corner. We're always waiting for the next big thing. And I started to ponder that and I I said to God, God, how can I show your people, what it is you're showing me, the excitement and the joy. And I didn't get an answer until I started this week receiving text message and phone call after phone call about incredible testimonies that are happening in the life of this church. So I'm going to take a couple minutes for guys to share that. And I want to apologize that I haven't made it um, easy for you guys to come forward and share testimony. Testimony is so important because it's showing this the life of this church where we're going. And we are going somewhere incredible. There's so, I know I'm going to try and show four testimonies this morning, but there is so many more that are either developing and they have asked me not to share them just yet until the stamp of approval has definitely been put on. But there is so much incredible stuff happening in the life of this church. I know there's quite a few people away with Father's Day, but I know there's more people who aren't here who have massive testimony, financial uh, health new houses coming in, all kinds of stuff, and I, I want to talk about why it is we're stepping into that. So Shani, do you want to start? Happy Father's Day, men. Um,
1: a we while back, uh, one of the guys I do lawns for, he offered me uh, an opportunity to move onto his property and take over his, his business, which would have been a rent of about 650 a week. I, I panicked a bit at Ben? (laughs) Benny, what do I do? No, I prayed and stuff like that. But I actually felt that it wasn't something I should move on. And I felt that there was something better coming. Anyway, he was a bit disappointed, but the relationship was still quite close between me me and my boss. And he ended up calling me probably two weeks ago, and he says, mate, um, I've got more work for you. uh, And I've got more work for your uh, wife. And I've also got a friend of mine who wants you to move into his house. Because as you might know, we've been living up at Malinidi's house up at Beachmont. And we didn't even know this guy, this owner, and we jumped pretty much jumped the queue of everyone that was looking to get into this house. It's a, it's a standalone place in Paradise Point. We've never, ever been in our own house uh, before that hasn't had neighbours on top of each other. Um, we had a favour of getting stuff into the house, and all that stuff was amazing. But it all came through that one connection. And then through another connection, through Malcolm, just recently, so we've all moved into the house, and the guy that actually brought um, the place that we do the charity in Rowland Street in Southport, he invited Mel and I into his house to um, in the middle of work, and he sat down and he said, "Hey, Sean, um, I heard you know you're really passionate about youth, and that's really your your main passion." I said, "Yes," and he said, "What's stopping you from, or you guys at Set Free Care, to run your own program?" I said money and he said well what do you need i said well we need to set up and convert what we have into a drop-in center where we can buy projectors playstations couches pool tables table tennis tables all that sort of stuff and he said right i'll write you a check for whatever you need to do that and he said i'll also want to fund you for at least a year to run your own program there so yeah it's very 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 cool
0: Mary, Mary, I'm going to make you walk out the front, and you know why once you tell. Once you tell.
2: <laughs> it's all about Mary and walking. Uh, a few weeks ago, my knee packed up this one completely, and it's bone on bone, which is extremely can be extremely painful. Uh, anyway, I've decided that they told me I had to have a knee replacement, and I've already had one and I don't want another. And so I've been fighting with his knee. I've been just saying, no, it's not going to happen. And I've had a few little miracles here and there. Uh, but when it first came out, it was so bad that they put me on oxycodone and things because the pain was unbearable. But it gradually, with a lot of me saying the scriptures, it righted it again. And then the other night, it came out. And I tell you what, it's pain beyond pain and Graham's there and he's got my knee and I couldn't move I couldn't sit, I was in a terrible place and he said we'll have to get the ambulance and take you to hospital so I thought no and I just rose up and I told the devil who God was and who he was and I just spoke it out and I hopped up and walked and that knee was completely back in and it's never come out again, right? (laughs) I just want to say one thing. The Word of God is powerful. And I've found out that it won't work if you don't say it, right? And and, and if you say it, it's what Charles Cap wrote. He said, if you say the Word of God, you give God then the power to work in your life. So I am doing just that, okay? So the saga goes on. I want to completely heal me. I do not want to have anything, so I need people to stand with me, right?
3: Hello.
0: Hi. Look at
3: this <laughs> I missed the testimony. What, you, what happened? You got <laughs> oh, congratulations. Um, so as most of you know, me and Sean run a business uh, upstairs during the week and on the weekends. Come on. Um, So anyways, that's been going good. We've been going for about a year now. Uh, Sean came across full time probably about six months ago. Um, And Ben was nice enough to rent us some space upstairs. So about probably maybe three or four months ago, we got to the place to where we needed to expand. Um, And obviously, that takes quite a bit of money and expenses. So we brought on um, Jeremy to do the books and Kat to come in on Wednesday and... Uh, Eugene to do some stuff so anyways we brought on a lot of extra employees um, that we kind of had the money for at the time and so uh, what happened is we started pretty much you know draining our bank account quicker than money was coming in which is just a part of business sometimes and so uh, we really felt God calling us to kind of take the next leap and move into our on-premises we have big industrial units that people need to come view and use and um, we're got four of us packed into a little room upstairs. So, um, anyway, so we kind of bit the bullet and just said we're going to do it, and and called some um, real estate people and had them come show us the unit and and signed a lease. And Jeremy was actually doing uh, the books for us and was going to go pay the lease. So we had to pay a bond, which was two months rent up front and then an advance payment of rent, and it was all up like six or seven grand or something like that. And Jeremy looks over and was like. So you realize that once you pay this, you don't have any money left in your bank accounts, right? And I was like, yeah, that's okay. We'll figure it out. Um, and Jeremy literally, it was like 7 o'clock at night or something, hit the refresh button on the page. And all of a sudden, the whatever was left in there switched over to $35,000 in the bank account. <laughs> like, Literally, as he was actually paying the bills. So um, that happened. So we're moving into a building um, on the 1st of October. And, um, yeah, it's been great.
0: <laughs> Deb, come on.
4: Just, <laughs> I don't want to babble, but. <laughs> um, Monday, Monday, um, Tanya and I, Get together once a week. Well, we try to get together once a week to fellowship and intercede, and um, whatever happens, as the Spirit moves. Um, and a few days, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, a few days before the Monday, I just felt very much um, to hallow, hallow God, and He, um, I just wanted. Uh, it just seemed like no amount of reverence for him. I could bow myself into the dust and it just would just not be enough. I just felt this overwhelming need to just bow down and hollow him. So that morning, I did something a little bit different. I lit a candle and just set aside um, just to honor him, just to something simple like that, a candle. And uh, we... Bowed down and worshipped him and uh, interceded and praised and worshipped and, and all that. And, and then um, Tanya prayed over me. And um, after we had had our fellowship time, I was in the kitchen making us a cup of tea and trying to make us something to eat. And I got um, overwhelming Um, fire burning so intensely in my heart and in my head it was just I can't describe how overwhelming it was it was literally taking my breath away and I was uh, having a hard time coping with it I had to put my head down on the bench and my hands out and just keep breathing through it but I know in all this as scary as it was and as intense as it was I knew God was in there, in it. You know, at first it was it was like, whoa, what's this? <laughs> but, uh, and uh, it was just, it lasted for a half an hour, just this intense, intense, I, I like I said, I can't describe it. And I could barely walk. I was just overwhelmed. And um, I realized after, through scripture, Reading after, uh, about a day later, I found out, I realized it was just a refining. It was refining, refining my heart, refining my mind. And um, everything seems so much clearer now. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Can I also, um, I just want to add about the finance situation, everybody's finance. Well, here I am, a widow, <laughs> no job, no money, but the finances keep flowing in oh, yeah, so <laughs>
0: that's good then i'm not going to ask anyone else to come forward but if i was who who else would have a testimony something quite substantial that's happened in the last few weeks just put your hand up go a little higher so everyone can see something is happening in the lives and i want to ask one more question Who, since Adam and Adrian were here, who's dreamt? Who's had dreams, like vivid dreams, since then? That's not a coincidence, family. There's something happening there. The finances thing is incredible. Incredible. The way that we have taught on finances, and I I have to tell you, I was nervous to teach on finances, but I think... God gave us an understanding through the house to understand kingdom finances and step into something greater. The reason that the hands are so important is because as a people, we're stepping into his kingdom and reveling of what he has inside that kingdom. To watch Deb's life change drastically to where she is now is nothing that Jess and I have done. It's it's everything that that Deb has done. Let's block it out. <laughs> That's everything that Deb has done. Deb has stepped in foot after foot after foot into his kingdom, being drawn in more and more and more by what he's doing to her. And she's stepping into bigger and bigger and bigger things. You know, the only thing that stops that is if Deb stops stepping. The moment she stops stepping, she stays where she's at. You see, there's a drawing that God calls us into, a bringing in of, come to me, come into me. Why? Because the closer we get to him, the more and more we're in his kingdom. The more and more we're in the realm of which he reigns. But the reason that I wanted to share this is I wanted to say, well done to to you guys for listening to his call. Brad said something two weeks ago. In or three weeks ago, however many weeks ago it was, in his sermon. And he spoke about Matthew twelve twenty nine, where it says, Hear, O Israel. And he unpacked the fact of what that actually means, that Israel, it wasn't just listening with your ears. It was an action that you had to step into. That that is exactly what this Christian walk is. My mom used to say to me all the time, Clean your room. And i go, Yeah, 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 I will. And then I wouldn't. And she's like, You didn't hear me. And I said, I did hear you. You said, Clean your room. I just wanted to do it when I was ready. I wanted my timing. But she was saying, clean your room now. But my hearing, my hearing was, no, I will do it on my terms. So I heard, but I didn't listen. She used to always say that to me and it made no sense until I heard what Brad said and unpacked it for me. You're hearing, but you're not listening. What I'm saying is not calling you into an action to actually do something. So when it says that When the word speaks about falling on deaf ears, it's falling on ears that hands aren't attached to. It has to run all the way through your body and call your body to action. So when God says, do something, we go, got it. I'm reading a book at the moment uh, called Repenting of Religion, and I highly recommend it. It is a challenging book. But he talks about the fact that we've heard, treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. Treat your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard that, but we haven't actually listened. The scripture hasn't actually turned into a work that our hands can meet. Because when we go out into the world, we actually don't love our neighbor as much as we ought. But we know it. We know the teaching. We've, we've heard it. But when Jesus calls us, O hero Israel, he's saying, let my words become actions in your life. And the beauty of that is not so that you'll be a good boy or a good girl. It's so that you can step into what Sean stepped into. You can step into what Mary and Deb have stepped into. You can walk and operate as Josh and Sean are walking and operating, each step making no sense. I've watched those two boys in that tiny box of a room create this little empire Of insanity, where I say, hey, that's not going to work. Boom, it works. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, gentlemen. Watch them buy chairs too big for the room because they didn't want the small chairs because we should have big chairs. They had to take those chairs back, might I add, (laughs) because they were too big for the room. But the point is is that they're calling into more, 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 God. Not more so that I can be, be puffed up and exalted, but more, God, so that I can step closer to you and closer to you and closer to you. So that every step of the way, as a people, we start to hear his voice and it starts. To, we start to listen to what it is that he's saying. And the, the, the things that he's saying turn to work in our hands. We are the body of Christ. The outworking of the king of glory. That's our job. Hands and feet of the king of glory. That means that we have to do something. We have to, have to, have to do something. We cannot sit on our hands and say, but God, won't you come? Yes, he will. But he's going to ask you to do something. During worship, I didn't know where this is going to fit, but I'm going to share it now. During worship, I felt God say, I felt Jesus say that I gave my life because it was my choice to step into the glory of my Father. When it says that Jesus gave up his life, they didn't take it from him. We my, and I've always seen it like this until this morning we've always seen that as Z the people wouldn't take it from God I don't think that's what the verse is saying I think it's saying this I gave my life because it was always my free will Jesus to step into the fullness of my father as he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane he said father take this from me if it's your will take it from me Jesus didn't have to go to the cross he got to he chose to go he had to to save us, but he, he chose to go. God didn't make him. God didn't take away Jesus' free will and said, you must do this. He chose the whole way. That's why it's so powerful that when he's hanging on that cross, he says, no, I give my life because I give myself to the will of the Father. We make that choice every day. God, I give myself to your will. I lay myself down to your will. It's your will because I want to be closer to you. I want to step where you tell me to step. I want to walk where you tell me to walk. Because each step I take, I'm deeper and deeper inside your kingdom. And I can operate in from that place. It's a freedom and an excitement. And it, it changes. It changes everything that we get to do. The title of my sermon this morning, which I have just points just written all over the place. There's no strategy anywhere because... I heard this and and God said, preach on it. And then I was like, well, I don't really know how. But the title that I wrote down is, is and it's not mine, I stole it. But it's a kingdom without a king. The world is trying to get us to operate inside a kingdom without a king. But the point of that is that it's actually a lie. Everything we do as humans, we give ourselves to a king. We give ourselves into a kingdom. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a a Buddhist, a Hindu. You're giving yourself to something. You're giving yourself over to another ruler. The point is, is that we get to decide who that is and what that is. And the thing with the Christian walk, as Paul says, to renew my mind daily is to operate from a place of always choosing the right king and the right kingdom. You see, every kingdom has to, be, has to operate with a king. When you have in, a, in an old... Jess and I watched Robin Hood the other day. It was, it was quite fun. But again, it reinforced... It's funny when God tells me something, and all throughout the week, I get these reinforcements of, of what it's to look like. But there was a, a, a kingdom... And the thing is is that the people couldn't go anywhere. They had to stay inside that kingdom, whether it was bad or worse, good, awesome. They had to stay because it was the only place. But there was always a king who ruled. And it was up to them as to what their life looked like. The rules would change throughout the thing depending on how the king would operate. But there was always a king that they had to bow to. This post-modern, post-Christian world that we're living in is trying to remove any sense of a king. As Brad was saying this morning, the enemy wants families without fathers because the authority leads us down a path of either righteousness or destruction. But when you take away the king, when you take away the authority, you go into anarchy and it, it quickly, quickly, quickly spirals to nothing. He doesn't care how you lose. He cares that you lose. It doesn't matter whether you're just slightly off. He wants you to be in a place where you're not being ruled by a king because he knows that the kingship of Jesus will lead you down a path of righteousness and a beautiful life that you can be overjoyed to walk every day. A kingdom, by definition, is a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or queen. Sean and I play. I haven't in a few months, but Sean and I play basketball at. Um, there's a, a court in Mudry Bar that we go and play basketball at, and it's funny when I first went. There's no real rules, but there is rules. So there's no spoken rules, but there's this like undercurrent of like honor and respect that gets given to certain people who have been there for a certain length of time or who are good basketball players, right? So when I first went in, I was happy to be an, uh, an Indian. Sean and I talk about being chiefs or Indians. You get to be a chief. Or, I'm like, hey, I'll take an Indian place. But it's funny watching the dynamic of the court because these guys can't organise anything. So we're supposed to start at 4 o'clock. By 20 past 4, a game hasn't got organised, and there's 25 dudes standing in this hall going, so are we, we going to play basketball or are we just going to stand around? It always takes, though, someone, one person, to step up and say, so, okay, I'll organise it five on five, you five are playing, you five aren't, and you five are on another team. But it always take, sometimes it can take 25, 30 minutes, hey? And Sean often, often is the guy, because he carries a respect, they, they respect him as a basketball player, who has to step up into that place. But the point is, without somebody in charge, it's a schmozzle. We'd never get a game. We'd, we'd get to six o'clock and everyone would just go home, we haven't played. But the point is is that in a kingdom, there must be a lead. There must be a a ruler who decides where people go. And often if it's, (laughs) there's a guy down there that plays who the teams are always incredibly uneven. He gets this fantastic team with all the top players and stays on all all day. He's what you call a dictator, right? He he designs it in a way for him. But you'll get somebody else like Sean who will go, no, let's make all the teams even so that at least everyone gets to keep playing. But the point is that there's a king who decides how that kingdom operates. We've spent quite a few months talking about and, and understanding that there is a kingdom of darkness that operates against the kingdom that God has us in. We just got back from the States and on our last two days, we went to Hollywood Boulevard. And I've got to tell you, that place changed my understanding of America. America. We've all seen Hollywood Boulevard on the movies and it's beautiful and amazing and picturesque. And there's palm trees and the stars are glowing and beautifully shined and scrubbed. And I got there and I was like, is this it? This is the beautiful place that we all talk about. But I was amazed and I kept saying to Jess, I was blown away by the, the pagan symbolism that was throughout this walk of fame different gods in different forms that were along the way. Chinese gods. And, and then we walked past this shop and it was a, a Japanese shop that sold masks. And it said on the window, um, choose the spirit that best suits you, I think it said. So you'd go in and you would buy a mask and in this mask, from what they were saying, would help you change your spirit to the, a better spirit that you wanted. Hollywood Boulevard. 2019, so I was bamboozled. I'm walking down like, oh my goodness. Anyway, we, go to a, we, we just wanted to go to a shop that was along, halfway along, so we go in. I walked into the shop, and I wasn't jazzed, so I just walked out and stood on the boulevard to just take things in. And as I was standing there, across the road was a big, beautiful, like marble-type um, building, and it had red flags on it that said Jimmy Kimmel Live. Right, so Jimmy Kimmel's a comedian who does like a late night TV show in America. But above his name it said this. It said Freemasonry builds its temples in the nation, in the nation's end in the hearts of men in massive big writing in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard. It builds It's temples in the nations and in the hearts of men. And as I stood there, the Freemasonry thing didn't jazz me. If you know what it is, Freemasonry is like a a cult is the best way to put it, and they draw people to themselves in a special club. But that thing didn't jazz me. The thing was, was that it said we build our temples in the nations and in the hearts of men. And as I walked through the streets, as I walked through the city, I just saw pain and loneliness. I saw heartache and brokenness. People that had signs that said, um, I need money for food. People that had signs that said, I need money for rent. And then further along, people that had signs that said, I need money for for weed or or whatever it was. But everybody needed something. And as I walked down this street, I thought, flip. hey, my first thought was, the church, we have so much work to do. So much work to do. There's so much brokenness and and loss and pain in the world. But as I realized, as I walked through, this thing kept rolling around in my head that the darkness will build its temple in the nations and in the hearts of men. You see, God's trying to redeem people's hearts back to him. He's trying to take the hearts of the people and bring them back into a fullness of a place with him to redeem us back into his way in his realm but you see the enemy is trying to do exactly the same thing on the other side there's this wrestle this tessel of my it's not about flesh and blood is the fact of your heart is trying to be redeemed one way or another now the 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 exciting part for us is that our hearts now have been redeemed as christians if you're a born again christian if you've accepted jesus into your life been baptized into him your heart is redeemed and saved, your spirit. But the thing is, is that we're still tesling with our soul to decide which way we're going, to, we're going to walk each day. And that God says, come with me, follow my ways, because I promise you my ways will lead you into the fullness of those things that we've heard this morning. That this world that we navigate through is a minefield of hurt, pain, and destruction. Jess's folks were with us while we were in, in L.A., and Jess's dad said to me before we got to L.A., I really don't like L.A., but I'll go. we'll go have a look around so you can see stuff. And he said, but there's, there's heaps of sermon illustrations in L.A. And I laughed, and I got there. I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's sold as this beautiful, amazing, clean, thriving city where your dreams get made. And then we got there, and I was like, oh, my goodness. This is where dreams come to die. And we have friends, uh, friends that um, happened that happened for them. They they dreamt of LA and LA nearly broke them. And please, I'm not saying it's a it it, it needs Jesus, absolutely, and our people there serving well in churches, and there are good churches in the hearts of of LA going and, and to the people but my point here is that either side there is this wrestle this tension of of conflicting kingdoms and what the enemy wants you to know is that you don't need a king one of the biggest things that we're hearing in the thing now is you get to decide how you will operate what do you want this whole thing with abortion is is what's going to be best for you what, what what's going to help me the most you know what which which sex do you want to be where do you want to live how much how much money do you want to have and see the problem is is that we're building this this culture of entitlement where we don't actually have to do anything so what we have then in the church realm is we go no god's going to just give me everything that i need or want a few years ago i had a a strong disagreement with a, of a fellow who wanted a, a Queenslander house with a veranda around the outside. And he had this thing on a dream board. And as a stirrer, I asked him a question that started a debate that I shouldn't have been in. But he, I said to him, hey, bro, so God, he, he explained that God was going to give him this house. And I said, that's awesome, but he, he wanted it debt free. So he, he wouldn't, if God gave him the money, he wouldn't buy it. Or if God gave him a loan, he wouldn't buy it because he didn't want the debt. Not, not important. But the fact was, I said to him, hey, bro, what happens if God gives you the house? He goes, yeah. I said, so God gives it to you. You're living in it for a year. It's amazing. But then a year later, God tells you to give it to another family who needs it more. And he has a little condo for you. And he goes, nope, nah, wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that to me. And I said, but hang on, it's okay for God to give everything to you without you doing anything. But then when he calls you to give it on, that's not okay. But the fact was, was that he didn't want to work or, or step into more in order to get that. See, we have to understand that the kingdom of God, there is a job for us to do to get into the kingdom of God. That's what James is saying. He's not saying it's about works. You are saved and and you are locked away and hidden in him. Yet if you go and sit on your hands for the rest of your days, you are not going to operate from and within the kingdom. It's just not going to happen. People are not going to knock on your front door and say, hey, I'm an atheist. Would you please tell me about Jesus? They may. They may. But nine times out of ten, they're probably not going to do that. So there's something for us to do. There's an understanding of each step we take. We take toward him, understanding more and more and more of him. And I like what Deb said this morning. I got on my knees and I, I want it to be lower than the dirt. We have a culture at the moment that says, Deb, you should never want to be there because you are a righteous king of God. You are a righteous priest. You are. But God gave those elders their crowns and they tossed them before him. God elevates us. But we get the place to say, but God, you are so much greater than that elevation. My worship and my, and my exaltation of you is so much greater than anything that you can give me. Yes, you are a son and a daughter of God. Yes, you are a priest of the Most High. Yes, he loves you with all that you are. But I promise you, when you practice an understanding of dropping to your knees and saying, God, I give you everything, he pulls you closer and closer and closer. He allows you to operate from the fullness of his kingdom. When Jesus Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, come and take the cup from me. Please take this cup from me. But the next line is the most important line. If it's your will, God, because I won't act outside of your will. Please tell me I can. Tell me that you have another way. Like I said before, Jesus could have not drank the cup. He could have put it aside. But he knew that he needed to do it. And he knew that the father had asked him to do it. How many times do we do we drop to our knees and say, God, I don't want to do this. Please, if it's your will, take it from me. And God says, that's my will, son. I'm sure that when people like like Brad moved from the beautiful beaches of South Africa to the desert, there wasn't... This, yes, I get an upgrade to the desert. But he followed the will of the Father. And I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong, there would have been moments of, God, please, not the desert. Are you sure that that burning desire is in my heart? But I don't want to step outside of your will. You see, it's okay for us to not be overly joyed about the things that we have to step into. That's Okay. It's okay with us to, to be so stressed by what God's called us into that we, we just can't fathom it. But the thing is, is that it's not okay for us to not operate from what he's asked us to because it's that place he'll call you into more. There's so many times in, in my life where I've said, God, I don't really want to do that, but I will because you've asked me to. And then that thing that I didn't really want to do has actually become, you walk away from going, eh, it wasn't too bad. It was kind of fun. I kind of enjoyed it. I had, it was awesome. And then the next thing he calls you into is amazing. And then the next thing is a challenge and difficult. But the point is, is that every step we make, we make toward him because that's how we stay inside his kingdom and operating from that place. That's how when we when, when we come to worship Him and there's this, this beautiful um, silence like there was this morning where there's so much stuff going on around us phones ringing and, and kids clanging toys but the thing is is God but You are so beautiful that the rest of that is silenced the rest of that is made so much so much quieter can I have can I have six to seven more minutes? Okay, if you've got a Bible, go with me to mark 10 uh, 17 17 verse 31. Is this okay? Is this made sense? Is it helpful? Mark 10, verse 17. Sorry, did I say Mark 17? That doesn't exist. <laughs> Scrap everything. Just go to Mark 10, verse 17, and we'll just go from there. <laughs> Sometimes the number get, numbers get jumbled up. And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I'm going to pause along this, this. We're going to read all of this, but I'm going to pause along the way. Even Jesus, even Jesus lowers himself to worship the Father. Even Jesus does what Deb said I, want, I just wanted to be low. I wanted to glorify you. I wanted to exalt your name. I want it to hallow your name. Even Jesus, the only one who could have said he was good without sin, says, why do you say I'm good? Because he didn't want to take the worship on himself. He wanted to deflect it as a mirror back to God. That's why, that's why in our worship we sing about him. That's why we were in this house. We were so full on about, I don't want to sing about me, I want to sing about God. Why? Because Jesus did it. Why? Because we're, we're a mirror reflecting his glory. Back to him. 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, but teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, They were amazed by his words. They heard it, but they didn't listen. So Jesus says it again. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God for all things are possible with God. What we have to understand here is that the man, the boy, or the, the, young, the, 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 the young man who came to Jesus and asked the question, he would have been a Jewish boy or Jewish man because he says, I've, I've kept these things from my youth. So, as a Jewish man, he was good and faithful and he kept the Torah. He fulfilled everything he was supposed to fulfill. So, we look at this and we go, Oh, he wanted his money. He wanted to keep his money. He should have followed Jesus. That's not what he, what he realized. He would have looked back in that and said, I've kept everything you asked me to do. And still it's not good enough for you. I actually understand. I have a heart for the, for the young man who walks away because I think he did what he was supposed to do. He followed, he followed the way of the law. He kept. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. But it brings you to this question. If an atheist came to you and said, Hey, explain to me why your life is better than mine. What is it that you do that I don't do? And we go, well, as Christians, we don't murder people. He goes, yep, I don't either. Okay, well, we don't sleep with each other's wives. Yep, I don't either. I've been faithful for 30 years. Okay, well, we don't steal. Nope, I don't. I work. I pay my taxes. Okay, well, we're just genuinely good people. Yeah, I'm a good person. You see, the thing that differentiates us from atheists is not the fact that we keep the law. It's not the fact that we keep the Torah. That's what he's saying. And then, and then he says, well, go and give everything that you have. He's saying, go and make everything not your God. Make me your God, and I'll bring you into my kingdom. You see, this wasn't about money. He uses money because it's the easiest way for us to understand making something your God because we get up nine to five, six days a week and we go to try and earn this little thing. But he, he uses that as an example to say, what you're doing is you've made that your God, your king, and you are inside its kingdom, not mine. So he's saying, well, I want to keep this king, my money, but I want to be in your kingdom. You can't have that. You can't have that king inside my kingdom. You have to release that king and come into my kingdom and make me your king. You see, we have to choose. So we want to walk as Christians and go, well, I want all the all the incredible things that are inside your kingdom, but I don't want to make you my king. I want to hold on to my king, if you don't mind, in this area of my life. But you see, the whole point is that we can't do that. You can't be inside the kingdom of God and not have Jesus rule and reign as your king. It doesn't work work like that so when we have christians going yeah but god doesn't bring me god doesn't do things for me god's not i'm not seeing what what sean's seeing i'm not seeing what debbie saw i don't my business isn't thriving like josh and sean's is my question there is okay then who's your king at the moment what kingdom are you operating from you go well no i'm 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 in god's kingdom but I'm trying to hold on to the king that I've got out here. But I should be able to operate, but I, because just let go of that thing. And then Jesus, the, the disciples. I love the disciples, man, because they just they didn't have a clue. They're like us. They got no. They, Jesus says things four times. They still didn't get the thing. So Jesus. So the disciples say, Ah, uh, Jesus, I have a question. If that's the case, how do we how do we get in there? How do we come to your kingdom? He says, he says, you can't do it. Only God can do it. So what do we do? You come to God and you bow before him. You don't grovel, but in honor and in majesty, in a, shallow, in, in a hallowing of him, you drop to your knees and you say, God, you are my king. And he'll bring you into his kingdom. I want to finish with this. We, can, we need to understand you can be a saved Christian going to heaven, and still be operating not out of his kingdom. You can be sitting on your behind, waiting for heaven, but you can also be operating now from that place of his kingdom. That's, as Christians, where we are supposed to be operating from. I heard God say to me once, when we first started leading, I I heard him say, I am your king so now when i pray i say jesus we honor you and we declare your kingship here because i want to i want to vocalize i want to speak out loud that he is my king and i operate from his kingdom why because then any other power or spirit that hears that knows who my daddy is knows who my authority is, knows what place I'm operating from. And just like Psalm 139, I think, where it says at the end, search my heart, God, not so that I can be a good boy, but search my heart for the areas of my life that aren't operating from inside your kingdom so that I can bring them back into alignment with you and operate from that place because that's the place I want to be. That's as Christians, that's why, why the, the rich young ruler was so heartbroken because he, he left almost before he didn't get the answer. I don't want to give away all that I have. I want to hold on to my king, the money and the things that I have. And Jesus says, well, you can't have both. Either you can come with me into my kingdom. Like a camel going through the eye of the needle, the reason for that is that money is such a strong king that we won't let go of, mammon. You can can change that. You can put there anything you want in that verse. Drugs, alcohol, women, your job, whatever you want to put there, you can make the king that you're holding on to. But Jesus is saying, you cannot operate from my kingdom. You cannot be who I want you to be and who I've had you to be if you won't let go of that king. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, we honor you, Jesus, we worship you, Lord, God, we cast, we cast our crowns before you. We lower ourselves before you, Jesus, in reverence of you. You are King, ruler of our life. I pray, Lord, right now as, as we sit just in your presence, that you begin to highlight areas, Lord, that we need to change, Father, that aren't quite aligned with you, that aren't inside your kingdom. And Jesus, I ask for wisdom as to how we change ourselves, how we renew our minds to see you clearer, to hear you more, to be able to listen to you, that when you speak, your words turn to actions in our life, that we can actually work out, O Lord. Show us, Jesus. Show us how to love more. Show us how to forgive more. God, I just pray that a generation rises up who hears and listens to your voice. God, I pray for those who are in churches this morning, Father, that that they may hear and then go back and listen to what it is that you've said. I pray this morning, God, that we can take the things you've shown us here this morning through the worship and through the word, Father, that we can take those things out into our spheres and begin to listen and do the work you've asked us to do. May you give us strength and wisdom, Jesus to operate within your kingdom and from your kingdom, O Lord, and bring others into that place that we're in, O Father. Thank you. We worship you. We honor you. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.